You guys go ahead and have a seat. Happy Mother's Day to all our moms. Are you so thankful for these incredible women in our life? Amen, church, right? Let's give them another round of applause. And we hope that you feel welcome this morning and you got your chocolate. You could be munching on it if you want this morning. That's fine with me. We are so glad that you have come to worship with us on this incredible day. It's so good to see you this morning. We are continuing in our service or in our series called Monsters Under the Bed. And we've been talking about over the last several weeks, we've been talking about those things that can keep us up at night. Those fears that, that, that can just overwhelm us at certain times or maybe things that you are anxious about or you feel stressed out about or they're weighing you down. We all have those different things in, uh, in our life. And a few weeks ago, I shared with you just some of the uh, crazy fears that I had as a kid. My imagination was, was just wacko and I could just, my imagination would start running away and I'd start thinking of all kinds of things. And one of the things I shared with you was this crazy fear, this irrational fear I had of, of sharp being in Eagle Mountain Lake, okay? And uh, I just had this fear of that being the case. Now, let me say this. We are aware that there are not sharks in Eagle Mountain Lake, but this past week, Pastor Randy and I, we decided to just kind of get out. We got out on my boat. We needed a little break. We've been working hard over these last several weeks, and so we wanted to decompress out on the lake, just kind of withdrawing a little bit. And uh, we got out there having a good time, and we're looking over on the bank, and we did not see a lake land shark, but it might as well have been one, okay? Because we looked over and, and uh, at that point, we saw around a 20-foot alligator. Uh, at that point, I decided to wrangle it because we are your fearless leaders. Okay, okay, maybe it wasn't that. Pastorally speaking, 20 feet, but it really was this long. All right, that is for real. That is in Eagle Mountain Lake. My swimming days in Eagle Mountain Lake are over. I'm just saying that, okay? And uh, now we, we, we were on our way, kind of getting close to it. Pastor Randy, when we see it, he gets up in the front of the boat with his camera, and I'm trying to navigate the boat as close as I can. We got nearly about to this, right where the front uh, uh, road is up here. And I'm just saying, as he's balancing on the boat, it might have crossed my mind, <laughs> might, might have crossed my mind to throw it into reverse as fast as I could. But then I had this image of Jennifer, his wife, that came over me and her wanting to kill me later on. And so I thought he at least deserved that for the dumpster incident a couple of weeks ago, right? He deserved that. And uh, well, we are your fearless gator hunter pastors, right? That would be an incredible reality show. We're gonna pitch that to one of the networks. That would be a great reality show. And, and here, we are, uh, here we are petting one of the, the gators there. You can see we're petting that Dean Smith. Took the, okay, maybe not that one. This, I'm just gonna throw this one in for free. This is my hero crocodile right there. That's for real, His, that croc's name is Brutus. And I'm like, look at Brutus go, got that bull shark right up. And well, you're most likely not losing any sleep over, over land sharks or lake sharks or probably even gators in Eagle Mountain Lake. You're probably not, uh, but there probably has been something, if not something going on in your life that does, that does worry you, or maybe you're stressed out. And I, you know, I've joked a lot about some of my irrational fears, but let me just be very blunt and honest with you about a real fear that I have and one that has overwhelmed me at certain times and that I've lost a lot of sleep over. And it is this whole fear in parenting. Parenting's tough, amen, right? It's, it's difficult. 
And I have these questions that will overwhelm me at certain times, like, am I being a good parent? Am, am, I, am I failing them in certain ways? Am I, am I, or I'm struggling, and, or maybe it's just not so much about me. I'm watching them go through some of the things that they are going through, and, and I wonder in my mind at certain points, and you've wondered this too if you're a parent, are they gonna be okay, right? And that's hard. When you're watching your kids go through things and, and, they're, and when I've, I've dealt with that, I can tell you that there've been nights that I've lost sleep and where, where fear could flood in and that monster would crawl out from under that bed and just begin to torment me and my peace would go right out the door and I would just really be trying to work out maybe their problems or, or I'd be feeling guilty about some way that I'm failing them in a parent, as a parent and just struggling with that. And I know some of you are right there with me. Some of you have been there and some of you today, you are there with me. And you're worried about your kids. You're worried about something that's happening with them. We never lose this soft spot of concern that we have for our children, whether they are five months old, five years old, or 55 years old. It never goes away, right, older parents, right? It never goes away. We never lose that. We're always, we, we love our kids. We love them, we want them to do well in life and there's these questions that we struggle with as parents or I know that I have, am I, am I setting them up for success? Am I, am I setting them up to succeed um, or am I failing them and setting them on a wrong path? Am I fun enough? Sometimes that one goes through my mind. Are they gonna remember fun times with me? Am I spending enough time with them? Or maybe am I too fun and don't know when to be serious with them? Am I strict enough? You ever struggle with that question? Or am I too strict? And I, I wrestle with the, these questions about this. Am I providing enough for them? Or here's a big one, am I spoiling them by giving them too much? I mean, these questions of finding this balance can be so difficult and these fears can, can sometimes overwhelm me and I, I worry about my parenting and I can worry about my kids, and, right? Because here is the thing, and you agreed with me a moment ago, parenting is incredibly difficult. And some of you would say probably the reality is that in your life, it perhaps has been the most challenging thing you have ever faced is raising your kids and, and watching them go through some of the things that they go through. And some of you are struggling immensely with this right now. I've, in my life group the other night, we talked about our fears as we would flesh out kind of uh, this sermon series. And just about every person in there brought something up that had to deal with their kids. In a prayer group that I was in yesterday morning, we spent more than half of the time praying for kids who are struggling. I mean, it's just these things that we are battling with, right? And, and, and when, when those, that fear moves in on us, for many of us, faith can move out. And fear can consume us and consume our minds and our hearts. I remember like it was just yesterday when Luke was born, he's my 20 year old now. And I remember when I first held Luke in my hands, when the nurse put him in my hands and I remember this fear coming over me at this point and I remember thinking a thought like this, who in their right mind would entrust me to take care of this, of this boy? I can't even remember to take the trash out, right? And now I'm responsible for this child. 
Now I'm responsible for a human being. And then I remember right after that, just a few years later, our daughter Trinity was born. And right after Trinity was born, uh, Luke was around five at this time, and I was just starting to figure him out. Hope, right after she was born, got sick. That's my wife. She got sick and had to go into the hospital for seven days. And so I was at home now uh, with a very hyperactive five-year-old. If you knew Luke back then, you would know how hyper he was. And with a newborn baby infant girl there that I was responsible for and, and who they're both depending upon me. And I remember just, just, just being terrified at that moment knowing I, they're counting on me. Hope's not here to help right now. This is all up to me. And one night, it was on a Saturday night because I had to get up and preach the next morning. I was remembering this. We had just planted EVC. So I'm a new church planter. I've got a brand new family that's going here. And Trinity would not stop crying. She cried all night long. And I couldn't just go, I'm preaching tomorrow. You got it. You know? And so she, Hope was in the hospital. Well, be before this was good, she was crying all through the evening. And we decided it would be a great idea to also get loose. Luke a hamster at that time, and Luke is holding his hamster, and I don't know why, but Jerry, Jerry the hamster, bit Luke on the finger, and now Luke is crying, and he's bleeding. Two, ch two children are crying. One's bleeding. I couldn't get them to stop. All I know to do was to get a glove on. I got Jerry the hamster, and I spanked his little furry bottom right in front of Luke. And I said, don't you mess with my boy. Well, that was ingenious because now Luke is laughing hysterically at me spanking his hamster. And, uh, and eventually Trinity, all I'm trying to say is just life was so hectic at that point. It was crazy. I was stressed out and I, I still had to preach the next morning. I just gotta say, I gotta give you single parents some props, okay? I mean, amen, right? We love you here because I just, just, just was overwhelmed at that point trying to take care of them. But here is the thing. You guys know this. All of these challenges in parenting, they never go away. They change at different points from either being newborns or when they're, they're, they're you know, uh, five to ten years old. Then they become teenagers, and that's what we're trying to navigate through now, right? And it, we're struggling with knowing how to do, make the right decisions and help lead them through that point in their life. And it's just, it's so difficult to know all the right things to do. And some of you, you're, you're struggling right in the midst of it. Some of you, maybe you don't have small kids anymore, but you're, you're watching your grown kids go through something that's very difficult right now. And it hurts your heart to watch them struggle with what they're dealing with. Or maybe you're a grandparent and you're watching your, your kids try to parent and you're watching them go through some of the difficulties and you might snicker a little every now and then, right? But the reality is, is most of the time your heart hurts for them as they struggle in this parenting ordeal. Some of them have health problems. Some of them have emotional problems. Some of them, as your older kids, are maybe going through a divorce and you're watching them suffer in a relationship. Some of you have kids that maybe are depressed 
and you're struggling with watching them with, in the midst of their depression, and it's hard, isn't it, as a parent to watch them go through stuff. It's so difficult to, to, to just observe and watch the things that are happening, and we want our kids to be successful. We want to set them up for success in their life. We want our kids to be happy, amen, right? We want them to enjoy life. We want to protect them from everything that we can. And we can from some things, right? But we also realize that this world is broken and the world is messed up and we cannot protect them from everything as much as we try. And what gets scary is that when we realize this and the reality washes over us, that we are really not in control. And that's terrifying. I know I'm speaking to you today. There were a lot of tears in that last service because this is a, an issue that hits home with so many of us. It gets scary when we, we realize that we are also flawed and we fail them. This week, I failed my kids. I just want you to know, I lost my temper and I said something really dumb this week. Has anybody else ever done that? Don't leave me hanging. And you know what I had to do? I had to go to my daughter and I had to say, that was really dumb for me to say that. And I'm really sorry, will you forgive me? And that's just what we do. We, we realize we're flawed. And, and here's the deal. If you're taking notes, write this down. We are attempting, our goal is that we are attempting to prepare our kids. Now, this is important for their life, right? Not ours. Some of us will try to live our lives through them, maybe through sports or through other things and but right, we're trying to prepare them through, for their life, not live vicariously through them. But from time to time, or, or excuse me, but from the time they are first given to you by God, it, it is to, it's our, our, our responsibility to help prepare and set them up for their life. It's like when you're teaching them to ride a bike. And this, these were fun times for me, but they were also scary times. You're teaching them to ride their bike and they've got training wheels on in the beginning stages, right? And that's what's keep, keeping them up. But as they're going along, they're going, I'm riding my bike. And in the back of your mind, you're like, well, kinda, right? <laughs> you know that life at some point is gonna throw them the curveball because the training wheels have to come off at some point. And then when the training wheels come off, you're doing your best with them, right? And you're holding on to the back of the seat. And you know what's really hard? Letting go. That's the hard part, isn't it? Because we don't always know the right time to do that. When do I keep hanging on, and when do I finally let them go and try to learn this on their own? What we do know is that whenever we let them go, you know why it's so hard? Because we know that they are going to crash, and they're gonna skin their knee, but here's the deal, and then they get mad at you, why'd you let go of me? <laughs> but if you hang on, they're mad because, why won't you let go of me? You guys feeling this today? 
It's so hard to know when to let go, right? It's so hard to know when we're watching them and taking our hands off of them at that time and they're going through things and then this reality at some point hits us right in the face. It's a sucker punch as a parent that we get that we realize at some point, I can't fix this for you. That is so hard. I can't. I can't fix this totally for you. I can come alongside you in it, but I can't fix your problem. I can't just make you laugh by spanking the hamster, you know. I can't fix it at this point. And so we come to this place as a parent where where we're like, I need someone to help me. I need someone to help me with this. I can't do this alone. And I want to take you to this passage of scripture of a man who came to that place. In Luke chapter 8, turn there in your Bibles with me, you're going to see a man named Jairus, and and he was at a place of struggle. You will relate to him. He's at a place of desperation. He's dealing with an issue with his child. He was incredibly, Jesus was incredibly busy, and his ministry was flourishing, and people were tugging at him, literally tugging at his robe. There's a woman that she wants healing from him. People are asking him all kinds of things. Come to our house. Come do this for us, Jesus And what you are going to see is that as busy as Jesus is at this moment, you're going to get a powerful snapshot of his heart for hurting and fearful parents. You're going to see that Jesus is never too busy for you. Look in Luke chapter 8, verse 40, in the gospel of Luke. On the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. Everybody's waiting on Jesus Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. This man, Jairus, was a religious leader in the synagogue. He was an, an authority in this town. He most likely had money. He was used to people coming to him, asking him for help. He was in this position of authority, but by the picture that Luke gives us, this man is a man of great power. He's a man of influence. He he probably, as I said, had money because of the position that he was in, and, and he was a religious man, respected for his religious piety, no doubt, but here he is, and this is what we see. He is broken, he is hurting, he is desperate, and he is on his face before Jesus. Why? Look at the next verse. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, that age is very significant because this is a transferring into womanhood here. At the, in this culture, that was a time where that would begin to happen. His only daughter, who was 12 years old, was dying. She was sick. What do we learn? It doesn't matter how influential you are. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how much power you have, right? Every parent struggles. And here's the thing. If you're taking some notes, write this down. Perhaps nothing brings us to our knees more than a problem with our kids. Amen? Nothing breaks us more. Nothing challenges us more. Jairus is broken. He's desperate. He's at the end of himself. He realizes what I said a second ago. I can't fix this. He'd probably gone to rabbis. Can you help me fix this? He'd probably gone to doctors. And this isn't a knock on doctors. Luke wrote this. Luke was a physician. 
But we know this, that there's only so much even doctors can do. They're not the great physician. And they're the ones that are gifted by God. He's doing what he only knows to do at this point. It's the only thing he can do. He comes to Jesus. He doesn't realize it, but he's talking to God himself at this moment. And when we talk to God, what do we call that, church? That's called what? It's prayer. It's prayer. So he comes to Jesus and he's talking to him. You could say this was a posture of prayer. Now, there are different kinds of prayer. There are casual prayers. That's where you wake up and you're just thanking God for the day. And casual prayers are fine. I love to just talk to God throughout the day. Thank you, God, for EVC burritos. They're wonderful. Praise God for bacon, right? Lord, help the rangers right now. They need your help, right? Casual kinds of prayers. And then you have impressive prayers. Impressive prayers. I remember back uh, right after I got out of college and I was working on staff at a church and there was this good guy in our church, right? That he was just a good old boy and he was on the deacon board there and, and he kind of talked like this. He was just kind of a country boy, okay? But then whenever he'd be asked to pray, his whole voice and demeanor would change and he would begin his prayer by saying, oh God. And there'd be multiple syllables added into God's name there. We beseech thee, he'd pray in King James Version, in this hour, and we are thankful that thou hast come thither. And I'd be like, it's a lisp or something, I don't know. And, and has poured out such a gratuitous cornucopia of blessings upon us. I'd be like, corn or what? Are we, are we about to eat corn? What, what's going on, right? And, and this flowery speech, it was more kind of a, I'm just being honest, it was kind of a show. And it was impressive, but not to God, right? Uh, he, he, he could have fully meant that, okay? But what I'm saying is, is that we can get to a place where we are more concerned about what we're saying and other people are hearing and, and, and that we're never really talking to God. And then there are not only these impressive prayers, but when Jairus comes to Jesus, he comes in a different manner. He comes with this kind of prayer. It's a desperate prayer. He comes with brokenness. It's unrehearsed. You're not trying to impress anybody. It's raw. It's gut level. And he comes to Jesus, pouring his soul out to him. The, these are the ones that when you're watching your child go through something and you're helpless, or you're watching someone you love go through something and you're struggling, maybe they're sick, maybe they're addicted to something and you're trying to help them. Maybe you're watching them go through some trouble they've gotten themselves into and we're at this place of just saying, God, I can't fix this. You're gonna need to do something. I need you to step in, God. Would you help us? Jairus isn't the only parent in the Gospels that comes to Jesus like this. There's four accounts of this. I won't read them all, but one lady comes to Jesus. This mother comes to Jesus and asks him for help. It's a similar kind of prayer. Help me, Jesus. 
Then there's this other man in Mark chapter nine, one, verse 17, one of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, teacher, I brought my son to you so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. And then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. This is beyond just him. Well, he's just a teenager. All right? Can you imagine watching your child go through this? He's terrified. And Jesus is saying, as you keep reading along the lines of this, have faith in me, trust in me. You've come to me, trust me. And now listen to what he says. The father in verse 24 instantly cried out. Look at what he says. I do believe, but will you say the next part with me? But help me overcome my what? And you know what I love about that prayer? It's real. He's saying, I'm struggling. I am coming to you. I'm trying very hard to believe. I'm trying very hard to trust you. I want to be able to let go. I want to be able to trust in this. What I love is that it is an authentic, raw, just unrehearsed prayer. It's a desperate prayer. And Jesus, I love that Jesus doesn't say something like, well, come back then when you really believe. He doesn't say that, does he? He doesn't scold him. He doesn't get on him. He doesn't rebuke him. He begins to talk about faith, right? He doesn't, and here's the thing that I, I love so much that I take from this. If you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus wants to step into your family crisis. He wants to, to, for you to invite him into the middle of this. He will not turn you away. He never turned a parent away. You can look. They came to him and, and, and he would never turn them away. He may not do things the way you think they should be done or in your timing, but he never turns them away. This is something else God pressed upon me this week is I've wrestled at certain times with, with you know, trusting God to, to take care of my kids. Here is this, our loved ones were his loved ones first, right? Our kids were his before they were ever ours. In his kindness, God blesses us with children to care for, to manage, to steward, to lead, to shepherd. But please make no mistake about this. They were his. They still are his beloved children before they ever came to be ours. They're his. And you see, there's something that happens in our mind when we realize that. And he loved them first. He loves them still, even as they're going through this. And in light of that, right, because he loved them before we ever knew them, look at what Psalms 127.3 says, that they are a gift from the Lord, which means he's giving them to us. He had them first. They are a reward from him. So when we look at Jairus, it's certainly not a casual prayer, right? It's not this prayer that's impressive. It's just a desperate prayer. But you know what else it is? It's this kind of prayer. It's a surrendered prayer. It's a prayer of just, he's been white knuckling it. I'm going to fix this. And he can't. The doctors are going to fix this. They couldn't. 
And he's coming to Jesus. It's this, it's this story of a parent that realizes, I have nowhere else to go. I can't control this. He's been white-knuckling it, and finally, his hands are open. And he says, I need your help. Jesus, I'll do anything for my daughter. I'll do anything for her because I love her but I'm putting her in your hands, Jesus. I'm trusting that you will help me with her. We see a man who is surrendered. We see a man who's, who's releasing. He's opening his hands, Jesus. I'm giving this to you. Uh, and, and, and maybe this is a prayer like what we need to pray today. Lord, here they are. They're yours. You've trusted them to me. I don't know what else to do. Whatever your situation is, I don't know what else to do right now, but I believe this because you're sovereign. I believe you do. I don't have the answers, but you do. Listen, I'm not giving up on her. What I am, though, doing is I'm giving her up to you. There's a difference right there. I'm not giving up on her, but I'm giving her up to you is what Jairus is praying Sometimes in the crisis with our kids, it's all we can do to muster a prayer like that, right? Uh, some of you in the room today, that's what you needed to hear. You needed to hear that it's okay to come to God with this kind of desperate kind of prayer, with this surrendered kind of prayer. And can I, I just humbly encourage you, make this your prayer today. In response to what you're hearing, when we look at this whole idea of surrender, Jesus models this for us. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, he shows us what this struggle looks like, right? And, and this, look at what he says in one of those desperate prayers of surrender in Luke 22, 42. Jesus knelt down and prayed, and he said, Father, he's just about to go to the cross. He's just about to go through all of this abuse and all of this horrific beating and he knows that he's gonna suffer. And he says, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. It's a desperate prayer of surrender. Look at the surrender. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. That's surrender. That's, that's surrender. Father, I may not completely understand everything right here. Now, we know Jesus did, but maybe we don't. I don't get everything, but I trust that your ways and your plan is perfect. I trust that you're in control of this. I trust that you are sovereign and you are even in control over the people in my life, even my kids. You're sovereign over them. And here's what God is trying to say to some of us today. Who is God calling you to surrender to him? Who do you need to surrender to him today? For some of you, it is a child, and you've been holding on so tightly, and you've been trying to fix it, and you've been trying to manage it. You're doing the best you can. He's even saying, beloved, you are so loving. You are so caring. But here's what I need you to do today. You loosen your grip, and you put them into my care. You let go, and you give them up to me. You're not giving up on them. That's not giving up on them you're surrendering. Maybe for some of you, it's not a child. Maybe for some of you, it's in your marriage that's falling apart and you need to surrender your spouse. 
to that person. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's something going on at work that you need to surrender, and maybe you need to surrender up a coworker or a good friend that's going off on the, a wrong path. Maybe for some of you, it's you're watching your aging parents and you're struggling with knowing the right things to do there, and, and you, you don't know how to handle that yet. I mean, these are fa a family crisis, and the Lord cares about these. I want us to go back to this story of Jairus, and I want, to, I want you to see something that really dawned on me this week, and I want to share it with you back to the, the verse 41 that says this, a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, and this just screamed off the pages in my face today, pleading with him to come home with him. Did you see that? He didn't want Jesus to phone in the prayer, did he? He said, I've got to have you in my house. I want you in my home, Jesus. I need you in my house. I want my daughter to see you. I want my wife to see that you're real in my house. I want these friends and family that are there weeping and crying. I want them to see you, Jesus. I want you in the house. And here's what God said to me this week. We need the presence of Jesus in our homes, amen? That is what we need more than anything else, more than any talk show you could watch to get advice from. We need the presence of Jesus that goes beyond just meeting up with him for a few moments here on a Sunday morning. We need to move beyond just bringing our kids to, a, to an event here, to church, and actually living church out in front of them the rest of the week is what they need, right? Not leaving him in the parking lot when we get out of here and we check out and we go to the restaurants, right? It's not leaving him here, but it's inviting him into our homes. Are we talking to our kids about Jesus in our own lives? We don't have to pretend in front of them. We can let them know that we're messed up and that we need Jesus. Are we talking to our kids about Jesus? Are they seeing the difference that he makes in our lives? Are we showing them what forgiveness looks like and what grace looks like and how we need that in our own lives? Do they see that we trust Jesus in the tough times? Do they see us crying out to him in prayer? Do they see us reading our Bibles? Do they see that we want him more than just a few hours on a Sunday morning? that we want him and need him in our homes. And so I'm gonna ask you a very direct question this morning. Have you invited Jesus into your house? Have you invited him into the place that you spend most of your time, into the place that you live? And I am so fired up about our kids' ministry and our student ministry at, even, at EBC. It is, it is second to, to none. I mean, it is incredible. It is wonderful, right? And I love the, the way that, that you need to understand that it's our strong belief that we are here to assist you in discipling your kids. It's not our responsibility or our calling to be the primary disciplers. It is our joy, though, to come alongside and undergird you as you disciple your kids. Because I want to tell you something, what you have to say about your relationship with God is going to carry far more weight than any, what any of us can say. And them seeing the, the reality of it in your life. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect, 
They need to see that you're not and that you're not wearing a mask and that you blow it. And when you blow it, that you own it and you repent and you show them what that all looks like. We show them what it looks like. We open our hands. I love this passage in Lamentations where Jeremiah writes this. He says in chapter 2, verse 19, Rise during the night and cry out. Pour out your hearts like water to the Lord. Lift up your hands to him in prayer, pleading for your, what does it say, church? Pleading for your children. And so instead of, of staying up all night worrying about them, what is Jeremiah saying we should be doing? Praying crying out to God on their behalf. When faith moves in, fear moves out is what we learned in the first week, right? And, and again, I just love this. I read this this past week and it also really spoke to me. You see, if we, if we don't take our fears about our kids to God, then many times we will, we will take our fears out on our kids. Did you catch that? That if we don't take them to God and deal with them, then it starts manifesting upon them. We project that fear upon them. And then we, we become this kind of parent. Have you ever heard of the paranoid parent? Have you ever been the paranoid parent? The paranoid parent, you've, maybe you've been like this. You're the helicopter parent that swoops in and always rescues them, right? And sometimes we can smother them. Now, the motive is because we love them, but we can smother them. We won't let go and let them try for themselves. We won't, we won't let, take the training wheels off. And, and we, we oftentimes will swoop in and rescue them. And then they get to young adulthood and they don't know how to make decisions for themselves. They just don't know what to do, right? Because we were trying to parent them in fear rather than in faith. But here's something Jesus spoke to my heart about, about this recently with my 20-year-old and with my 15-year-old. What I'm learning with them is that as, as Luke is trying, as he's 20, trying to figure out what he wants to do with his life. And my daughter who is 15, and she's, she's now my baby girl is in high school. That's blowing my mind, okay? Uh, but here is the thing that Jesus has shared with me, and I want to share it with you. Jesus never asked you to be their savior. He never called you to that. They have a savior who is sufficient and his name is Jesus. It's not me, it's not you. And if you're trying to be the savior, you're gonna continue to fail in that. What we need to do is to point them to the savior. Point them to the savior, the one who loves them more than I could even possibly love them. It's hard to conceive of that, but he does. The one who has the perfect plan for them. Jesus loved them first with a perfect love and what he's called me to do as a parent and what he's calling you to do as that parent is to demonstrate in front of them what it really looks like to love God. What it really looks like to trust God even in the hard times, to obey God, even when it's difficult to obey him and to trust that he is the true savior. We don't ever let go of our love for them, but what many of us need to do is we need to let go of our fearful control of them and put them into God's hands. So maybe you're not the paranoid parent, maybe you're more like this, the permissive parent. The permissive parent just says yes to everything because we just think that we're here just to be their bro or their bud, right? And, and uh, man, I just, I just want to be sure you like me. You really, I need you to like me. And that's more about you than it is about the kid, right? 
Uh, just be, dad, is it okay if, if my girlfriend spends the night tonight? Yeah, bring her on, right? Dad, is it okay? Or mom, is it okay if we have a party? Have it at our house, you know, drink it up, whatever, you know? And I just wanna be the cool parent, bro, you know? Or we're just sisters or whatever, you know, we kind of do that thing. And, and, and it's in that scenario that, that, that maybe we need to be like, yeah, what are you doing there, right? <laughs> That's, that's not parenting. That's not parenting. And, and here's something. I want my kids to like me. Don't get, I have some people pleaser in me. I want my kids to like me. But here's the thing that God has really been impressing upon me when I have to make some tough calls and tell them no sometimes. Here's what God has been saying to me. What I need you to be more right now than just a solid friend for them is I need you to be a solid parent. Amen? My dad and I, my dad was a solid parent growing up. Can I tell you what he is right now? Solid friend. And he needs you to be the parent first. Friendship can come later, right? And, here, and I don't, I don't want to go to these extremes of paranoid. I don't want to go to the extreme of being permissive. Here's where we want to land today. I want to land with being a prayerful parent one that is saturating my kids daily in prayer, one that's depending upon God for wisdom because I'm just, I'm just shooting straight with you. I don't know the right things to do sometimes in parenting. The manual, uh, I don't know if your manual can sometimes be as a, you know, a little cloudy as mine can appear, right? Where I'm like, I don't know what to do about this. I called another parent this week and said, what do you think about this? And we just kind of, we kind of did our best to, to land on something and, and praying about this. And what our kids need is they need a prayerful parent that is saying something more along these lines is, look, I'm not perfect, but I'm just asking you to follow me as I try to follow Jesus, just like Paul said. And I'm gonna blow it sometimes. And sometimes I don't know the answer, but I want you to follow me as I'm following Jesus and I'm trying my best to obey Jesus, I want Jesus in my house. I want Jesus to be in the house, right? And invite him there because here is the scary thing. They're gonna grow up one day if they haven't already. And they're gonna have to learn and to, 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 to go out on their own and learn as they leave. And one day when they're trying to do this thing called life, life is going to get hard for them at some point. And what I want to impress upon their hearts, if you still have kids in the home right now, what God is wanting to impress upon their hearts right now is, that, is this, is that they can always lean in, into Jesus and trust in Jesus. So here's the point, don't just pray. Pray for them. That is good, but also pray with them. Pray with them. You say, well, I'm not a good prayer. I don't know how to do that very well. Just say things to God. Talk to God. I don't, you know, your son comes to you, Dad, I can't get a date. Let's pray about it, you know. God, give this boy a date, please. It's going to take a miracle. Get, okay, don't pray like that, all right? but give him a date. What I am trying to say, all right, is this. God just wants you to be real. Just talk to him about it. Let your kids see that just talking to God is a normal thing. Don't go into King James praying. Just say, God, we're having trouble today. We need you. Amen. We can do that, can't we? 
God, will you come into our house today? I need you right now. God, so-and-so sick, we need you right now. That's what we're doing, right? Let's, let's wrap the story up of Jairus, Luke 8, 49. While he was still speaking to her, this man was still speaking to, to, or while he was still speaking to a woman that Jesus was healing, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. He told him, your daughter is dead. Every parent's worst nightmare. There's no use in troubling the teacher now. I want you to see Jesus is not troubled. But when Jesus heard what happened, he said to Jairus, what did he say, church? Don't be afraid. He's saying to some of you this morning, and the situation looks dire like that, he's saying to you, don't be afraid. Just have faith. She will be healed. When they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the little girl's father and mother. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing. Just put yourself there. That's a sad place, isn't it? But he said, stop the weeping. He wasn't being insensitive. It's because of what he's going to do. She isn't dead. Now, this is very key, okay? She isn't dead, he says. She is, what does he say? Asleep. We talked about sleep last week, right? It's a temporary situation, Jesus is saying. She is asleep, but the crowd laughed at him because they all knew that she had died. Then Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, my child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned and she immediately stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were overwhelmed. That's also astonished at what Jesus did. Now, as I was getting this ready this week, I know that a very large elephant just walked into the room because what I know is this, is that in this church, there have been many within our congregation that has had a parent's worst nightmare that I just talked about and your child maybe died. And I cannot even imagine that pain. I can't imagine that. But what I do know to do, I don't even know all the right things to say when I've been in that scenario, but what I felt the Lord leading me to impress upon you today is this. I can point you to what Jesus said here when he spoke of this child. He said, she is only asleep. He used those words for a reason. What it means is it is not a permanent condition. Just like we talked about last week in the fear of death, when Jesus is involved in the scenario, because of his death on the cross, paying for our sin, his resurrection, overcoming the grave, what did we learn last week? He has disarmed death. He's changed it. Yes, they may still be asleep, but what it means is this. Their spirit is in the presence of the living God. It is not the end of them. And at his return, the scripture says that they will rise. Amen? I don't know why sometimes he heals and why sometimes he doesn't. I don't know. I wish I could give you a simple answer today. But I do know that death has been disarmed by Jesus. 
Paul said that we can grieve, but we grieve as men and women who have hope. It's not the end. It's not the end. But I know you still hurt. But you can go into this situation with, if you are in Jesus Christ, here's what I want to say, with a blessed anticipation because you will be with them again. It's not the end. Jesus removes the fear of death. We learned last week, and he wants to remove the fear in our parenting. I want to just invite you to pray with me at this moment. Are you fearful about something that's happening with one of your kids today? Bring it to Jesus. Are you stressed? Maybe you're parenting in fear and maybe you've become that paranoid parent. God wants you to come to him in faith. Maybe today on this Mother's Day you're struggling. And he wants you to come, Mom, and find rest in him today. Again, I ask, who do you need to surrender into God's hands today. Maybe it's an older child that's struggling, an adult child. Maybe it's your grandkids. You don't have to carry this burden alone. Jesus never turned away a hurting parent. He wants to step into your crisis. Lord, today I know that there are a lot of hurting people in both services today. So God, what I pray for is that your presence will bring healing. We want you in our lives. We want you in our house. We need you, Jesus. Would you bring your peace and your rest to these parents today? If we've been white-knuckling at God, today we open our hands to you. We surrender. In your name that I pray. Amen. I want to invite you all to stand with me. In this last song today, make this your response and your prayer to God. And I pray that you find his peace.